Welcome to SHIFT, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Valerie from Viridian Prep on the line with us, and Valerie, I'd love if you could just introduce yourself. Thanks, Tyler. I'm excited to be here because we share some similar, uh, I say, philosophies on sort of evidence-based approaches to test prep, and that's what we're all about. And I'm about at Viridian Prep. We're a small boutique test prep and college advising company based in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I, I guess, former life as a management consultant, I like to use data and uh, evidence-based approaches to teaching and learning to help inform the process and what I do with students every day. And I find it really works well when you, when you use those approaches because there are some time-tested methods of teaching, retention, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And that's our topic for today, right? Is how do we exactly. approach these tests? And, and the thing that, um, you know, we talk about it a lot, but I, I, it bears repeating because it's the topic of this episode is that you shouldn't be thinking about the ACT or SAT like one of your tests in school, right? Like you should be thinking about it almost like a performance, like whether you're talking a soccer game or a musical performance or a uh, theatrical performance, it's something that you have to prepare for for many months and then it's kind of showtime on the day of, right? So it it requires a different philosophy and approach. And I'd love if you could kind of outline for us what that means to you. Yeah, so maybe because I am a musician sort of for fun and I've played music my whole life and also done skill-based sports such as tennis and baseball or watching my kids, I learned a lot about that notion of preparing for a performance. And really preparing for these tests is very similar. You know, we always hear this practice, practice, practice. And sure, you know, I would say nearly any practice is better than no practice, but really not all practice is created equal. And that's Mm -hmm. what I talk to my students about. And I'll give you one example. I I like to use tennis a lot because I have a lot of athletes and that's a really good sport to make the analogy. So when we talk about test prep and in relation to, let's say, a sport and improving your performance, you could go out on a tennis court, take a whole metal basket of balls, spend three hours and just practicing your serve. And there are a lot of components. There's the toss, how high or low it is, how much in front of you or behind you it is, what your stance is, what your grip on the racket is. Now, you could just sit there and hit balls, and maybe some will go in and some won't. And, you know, you're like, I practiced. But then the question I have is, well, when you were hitting the ones that didn't go in the box, did you notice where your toss was? Was it too high? Was it too low? Was your grip um, not where it should be? Mm -hmm. And those same sort of concepts apply to test prep. What students often do is they will do the practice sections, but they won't do the next step that all really good athletes and musicians do, which is 
that error analysis and then the error correction and kind of right. developing their own awareness of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that is is such an important thing to talk about because in general, um, if you're preparing for one of these tests and all you're doing is taking practice exams and you kind of think that you're doing your job, right? Um, you're, you, it's not really true. Like you, you've got to actually attack the problems, right? And so, as you mentioned, right, the first step is identifying the problems in the first place, right? So how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so I talk to students a lot of sort of breaking down when they're doing a section, the noticing and, you know, are you making a sort of a forced or unforced error? Mm -hmm. um, unforced meaning you actually do know the content and you and you're not just telling yourself you know it you actually do know like you you know your your triangles or you actually do know how a semicolon works mm -hmm. but you made an error of i didn't read the whole problem more like a careless error or mm -hmm. are you making more of you know let's say a forced error where you just have a really strong opponent like a very tough question mm -hmm. that no matter what you do you might not be able to answer it or solve it, or you need some more information or to um, bolster your content knowledge to do that. So we talk a lot about sort of, sure, as the, as the teacher tutor, I can tell you what your mistake is and I can watch mm -hmm. you working and sort of see what you're doing. But the real important step is for you to go away because, you know, I'm not, I don't live in your house. I'm not right. going to be watching you on a tutor cam. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you need New to start. Tutoring. Exactly. That you need to start becoming aware when you're working of being able to pinpoint those errors of, you know, like content versus um, procedure, if you will. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, do, a lot of people recommend building an error log, right? I assume that that's something that you're thinking about too, or is it something else? Well, I don't necessarily ask them to do that, although that's a great idea. I might I might have to institute that now. Yeah. Um, it's more sort of going through a section. Like I had a student just uh, over the weekend do this. He hadn't done a math section. He's doing the ACT in a while. And he, he did a few and he's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. So mm -hmm. I suggested, okay, do a section, but this time don't worry so much about the time. Go for accuracy and tell me what you've noticed. When are you guessing? Um, and he actually sent me back a great email where he was really able to pinpoint what he did, that it wasn't an issue of time. And he said, you know, I completely guessed on these questions, but I got them right. Uh, I think I need a refresher on circles, especially with angles and tangents and imaginary numbers. So right there, just even doing that one section, but thinking about it while he did it versus just sort of going through the motion, correcting and not even looking at it, he already could communicate. So then I can use that, again, whether it's math or verbal, I can use that to inform what we're going to do next and right. make suggestions because there are things you can do. I don't know if you've noticed this too, Tyler, but things you can do to sort of combat carelessness. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about that then. I mean, <laughs> what are the things you can do to combat carelessness? 
So one of the top things that also comes into practicing a certain way mm-hmm. versus and in a mindful way versus just, again, sort of like I could sit down to play the piano and I know I'm getting notes wrong. I can hear it. But I'm like, oh, I'm just having fun playing today. You know, who cares? I'm not going back and checking whether my, you know, I made a mistake of fingering or I forgot to read that it was a sharp instead of a flat. So the same, but if you start to mark your music in those mm-hmm. spots where you keep making the same mistake, it helps as a musician. So the same thing holds true for these exams. I know, mm-hmm. I know we're going full digital soon, but to the extent that we're still on paper, and you will be able to have paper notes anyway, marking th- things in writing really helps for that. Mm-hmm. For example, um, in a sentence, you could cross out all the sort of non-essential information to see if your subject and verb agree, mm-hmm. because you need to identify the subject. In math, students will also often get the correct number, but they'll mix up perhaps the units. So one thing you could do is, if you know you have to answer in cents versus dollars, you could write cents. You could just write the word cents. You could circle the word sense on your test booklet because the act of physically writing Mm -hmm. is also you thinking more because in order to do that, even though it takes a split second, you're making a decision and your, your brain is actually thinking and processing something in order to do that. Right. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's important. um, Like you said earlier, you know, uh, you were talking about it. Oh, if you feel like careless errors are becoming an issue, try taking an untimed, practice section and see if that changes things because if it is timing related then it's probably either or both of you are not doing the problems fast enough because you need to do better at the fundamentals and or you are nervous right and so it's important to kind of pinpoint what that is if you have an untimed section where you just you take as long as you want and you get everything right you know, that, that tells you something, right. It's in, and can, you can start to train for that. Right. So it's really about like diagnosing that problem. And then once you've identified it, trying to employ tools to solve it. I'm glad you said that about getting nervous because once again, the music and sports analogies to, or the sort of, uh, skills that they use to work on these similar issues apply. And it's just funny that you said that because last night I was working with um, a student who's a baseball player and we were doing a reading section and he was, he found he was actually rushing. He thought he, he was actually going too fast. And Mm -hmm. as you probably know, yes, when you get nervous, that is something that happens in sports. It happens in music. It happens on tests. And he said to Mm -hmm. me, he said, oh, you know, that's so funny, Valerie, because I have the same problem in baseball. When I try to hit and I swing, try to go for it too much, like swing too hard or too quickly, I usually mess up. Mm-hmm. So again, like all those all those um, noticing things of sports, when you're playing a sport, the skill-based sports, all the little pieces and the controlling of the nerves and thinking about the pacing it all they're all sort of similar skills and you can apply them in a lot of different domains but for test takers i do like to say you know you go you need to go for accuracy before you go for speed 
We can yeah. work on speed. As you know, there are all sorts of little tutoring tips too that help you with that. But if you're not accurate, like if you're not getting the serve in the box, it, it almost doesn't matter if you're hitting it at 90 miles an hour, you're going to lose the point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I also think that um, in general, you've got essentially to like the, the key thing with this, these tests is you've got to master the fundamentals first. Cause if you're going for speed and you can't answer the question, then that's not really going to help right. you very much. Uh, so yes. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, as far as, um, as far as sort of, we've talked a little bit about like the role of, about the role of an air log and, and recording errors and the role of just keeping um, yourself accountable as you're studying with what you're actually doing wrong, right? But then it's the role, I want to talk a little bit about the role of practice. So once you've identified your errors and identified the, the things that you need to work on, how do you attack that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we were talking about practice. Practice is definitely important, but we talk about also practicing the right way because just practice for the sake of it without doing the other steps of mm -hmm. looking at your mistakes and fixing your mistakes, um, you know, you'll still get some benefit as opposed to doing nothing. But if you're reinforcing sort of the, the things you're doing that are leading to mistakes. Um, for example, in ACT or SAT reading, or really any probably any standardized test that is reading, you know, sometimes people simply just don't read enough to get the context when they're looking at mm -hmm. a question. Uh, they will have an idea of what where something is, but they'll fall, they'll sometimes pick the trap answer because they rushed and they know they're right. rushing and they, they think they're going to run out of time. So they, um, they don't do, they, they, they're not consistent. They don't follow procedures. So we talk a lot about how to do things first up front, you know, even how to do the section, you know, what should you mark? with your pencil, mm -hmm. like what's going to slow you down versus what is, it's not going to slow you down, but it's actually going to help you when you begin to answer questions. And this consistency that also the best athletes and best musicians develop, because it's not always about being sort of the most, the smartest or the most powerful, you know, baseball hitter or tennis hitter, or, you know, the person who can play the music piece the fastest, sometimes it's about the person who is very consistent with their procedures of yeah. how they go about it. Um, so we talk a lot about, especially for like the high achieving, high scoring students who already, they already know how to read. They already, they're doing calculus as juniors. So they're already way past the math that they need for these kinds of tests it's for them, a lot of it is about consistency. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, uh, there were transition words in that passage. Too bad I didn't mark them because if I had, oh, I would have remembered that when I get to this question, the right answer is probably going to be around there because it was an important transition in, in the reading material, things like that, right. or little technique items. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's super important, right? And and you touched on this a little bit, but I, I think that it's worth kind of even uh, belaboring the point. 
which is it's it's how you set yourself up for success with a practice schedule that is consistently getting you kind of on the field however you want to say um you i think that's probably the biggest thing you can do to increase your score over time is is to be consistent with your studying absolutely and i know tyler you did a great podcast on spaced repetition mm-hmm. about sort of spacing out your practice, not too far apart, but not necessarily trying to do big marathons, you know, consecutive days. And I talk a lot about that because um, I also have read the the science on that. And it's, you know, I talk to students about this all the time. And again, I can go back to the sports and music again. You know, if your coach is telling you, Um, you know, to turn your foot a different way in your dive. I just worked with a diver, like point your, you have to point your toes or tuck your neck more, but you don't do it for three weeks. You know, you wait and you're not, you're not doing it maybe a day or two later or even three days later, but you're waiting three weeks. You're probably not going to benefit as much from that coach's advice and or you know your own implementing of that because you won't completely remember it just as if your right. music teacher went or your piano teacher went away gave you a new piece showed you the ins and outs of the piece but then you know you didn't sit sit down to play it until 2 weeks later so i talk a lot about practice as you said it should be pretty consistent rather than oh, I'll do one practice test in January and, oh, I'll do another one, you know, the first week of February versus maybe trying to do something like that every five days or at least weekly. Right. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, this is a little bit of a meme, but, you know, there's, if you take 1.01 and you raise it to the 365th power, it comes out to like, I don't know, like like 400 or something. But if you take 0.99 and raise it to the 365th power, you get basically zero. So it's <laughs> that, you know, 1% better or 1% worse every day, it compounds over time. Right. And, and I mean, as much as that's a little bit of an abstract and silly example, it is true that the more frequently you practice, the faster you're going to be able to make progress. And, also, just that the more consistent you are with your practice, the more that you'll be able to take these learnings from your error log and things like that and be able to build real real habit change around them. And that's the, the key, right? Is like you are it this isn't just a test where you have to get all 10 questions right and you get a hundred percent. Like it is the type of thing that it's a scaled score. You're competing kind of against everybody else in the country. And so you've got to be thinking about it like a competition. Yeah. And just as all these athletes do, student athletes, you know, when they're in season, they're not only going on the field or the pool or whatever it is, the ice, you know, once once a week, you know, they're practicing after school two, three hours a day. Now, I'm not definitely not suggesting anyone do ACT or SAT or GRE or GMAT work, you know, three hours a day, every day, um, that probably wouldn't work. And very few, there might be a few students of mine who would do that, but mostly they wouldn't do that. But I think they take away that, oh yeah, you know, I'm good at this. 
I'm good at playing my trombone or I'm good at, you know, on the soccer field because, yeah, I am doing it pretty frequently mm-hmm. and I'm trying hard when I'm doing right. it. And, it's, and, you know, I'll say, wow, if you gave your ACT or SAT or whatever standardized test, you know, even, well, I'm not the math tutor in my group, but, you know, 10% of that or something like that, you do equally well on the test. Right. Right. And that's, that's kind of the, that's where the analogy is strongest, I think. It, and, and that's why I think it's a really good way of, of looking at this, right? Because at the end of the day, um, this test is important, right? Just like winning a national, like a national high school tennis championship would increase your odds of getting into college. Getting a 1500 plus on the SAT would also increase your odds of going to college, right? And it's a different arena, but it's it's the same kind of outcome that you're looking for. And it's just important to kind of frame it in that in that mindset. I completely agree with you. And I, I try to point out to students that, you know, I, I completely understand, especially a lot of this uh, for the undergraduate tests, they're juniors, and that's when they're taking also their hardest courses, and they are trying to sort of rise up in their extracurriculars, you know, take on more uh, responsibilities, you know, give their all maybe to make captain on a team. So maybe they're learning to drive on top of that, or they have an after-school job. So it is a lot, but I, but I try to, yeah, sort of point out to them that we're just talking about you getting, having more options if you do mm-hmm. well on the test. And it's really a limited period because, you know, eight weeks is kind of the rule of thumb for this, but there are many students who actually don't need eight weeks. You know, if they apply themselves even for four weeks, like really apply themselves. I have a few now who just decides to start for a test within a month. And I say, you know, if you're in it to win it for, for four weeks, just as four weeks, just think about that. That's not really a big investment if you think about it. Mm-hmm. A month to get maybe a test score. And I've seen this all the time that students um, I've had when they have put in the time and gotten the scores, even though they may not have enjoyed it at the moment, you know, some have gotten full ride scholarships, you know. Yeah, there's money that you can get out of this, right? Exactly. One of my students got not only a full ride to one of the University of Texas schools, but a stipend on top of that. Wow. and it just increases your options, you know, getting mm-hmm. from a 31 ACT to even a 33, that doesn't sound like a lot. Like it sounds a lot more with the SAT because we have jumps of 50, 100 versus the ACT, right. which it's a point or two. But it can open an entirely different range of opportunities. And, you know, I'm not here, I tell students, I'm not here to judge what your goal is. I'm here to support you in getting to your goal. And it's really mm-hmm. all about, helping you have options. Right. Exactly. And even having, you know, that longer term perspective of like, what's the point of doing the SAT at all? Well, it's to go to college, but what's the point of going to college at all? Well, it's because I want to get a job and it's a good <laughs> job in a certain field. Right. And I want to have a great experience at a good school and all sort of stuff. And it's like, okay. So like, think about that. Use that to motivate you as you're, as you're dealing with something that like admittedly might be a little bit less fun than tennis, but it is certainly uh, potentially as important, depending yes, on Yes, and I try to remind them as much. I'm not sure anyone listens. You know, multiple choice taking, test taking, I hate to tell you, break this news to you, but in college, 
professors do give multiple choice tests. And they also can be, a final in college can be as long, or maybe not quite as long, but you can have a two-hour test. I'm trying to tell students and parents all the time that, you know, your your testing and uh, studying doesn't really end with high school. Like, these are skills that will help you beyond. I mean, even a driving test, you have a multiple choice, you know, component of a driving test. Or Mm -hmm. um, I know you do the FINRA yeah. Um I don't I don't actually know that test, but there are a lot of tests, standardized tests beyond what you're doing to get into college, like all the kids you might go for an MCAT or an LSAT or GMAT, you know, it's a skill that can be improved like any other skill. Yep, and it's a skill that will pay dividends in your life. Yes. Yeah, any other thoughts on this topic before we wrap up? Uh, I think just to end, I would just encourage any student of a standardized test to just try to, because most most people have done something skill-based in their lives, whether it's cooking or music or sports, try to think of the same things that you do to be good in whatever it is that you do outside of the tests and mm-hmm. apply it, apply it to the performance and practice for your standardized tests for undergrad, grad school, whatever it is. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Valerie. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Valerie from Viridian Prep. You can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to save 10%.